Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. I want us to look this morning uh, at the final week of the life of Jesus before his crucifixion. Specifically, we're looking at Thursday evening through Friday, which was the day of his crucifixion, which we commonly refer to as what? No, Good Friday. Good, the day of his crucifixion. Good Friday. And it was good for all of us, but it wasn't necessarily all that good for Jesus. It was a pretty, that was a rough day of existence on Good Friday. And we're going to read this morning from the book of John, the 19th chapter. We're going to read verses 16 through 30, but we're going to do it in increments as we kind of work our way through this story um, where we're talking about the subject this morning is suffering. Jesus did a lot of suffering on Good Friday. And the subject of suffering is never one that's all that popular or desirable uh, topic for most people. Most of us, we will do anything within our power to avoid any type of suffering whatsoever, right? That's why there's so many uh, prescription and over-the-counter painkillers. We don't certainly don't want to experience any type of pain. People take sleeping pills, mood-altering drugs, cushion soles for your shoes. We don't want to be in any kind of discomfort, right? Air conditioning is a real big one. Man, I'll tell you, there's not a lot of people today that would sit through an unair conditioned church service. How many of us are old enough, you remember those days sitting in a church, all the windows going down the sides are cracked open, you got those big fans, you know, stuck on the tongue depressor and everybody's just... There's a few of us left that remember those days. Huh? I think, uh, I don't know how many folks would show up for church these days if they, in the middle of July if they know the air conditioning's not working. We've gotten a little soft, haven't we? Come on, admit it. We've gotten a little soft, right? So we are pretty serious when it comes to avoiding any type of suffering. But as we grow out of childhood, hopefully we begin to mature and we come to the understanding that, you know, just certain amounts of suffering are going to be a natural part of life. It's unavoidable. There's no escaping some level of suffering. And hopefully, as we mature, we begin to learn how to deal with that. But as children, we really don't grasp that truth very well at all. We don't want to endure any type of discomfort, pain, suffering, any type of inconvenience. And by inconvenience, I usually mean, you know, not getting our way. When we're kids and we don't get our way, we a lot of times react by a lot of whining and fussing and pitching a fit. And we continue through our lives to respond that way as long as the whining and the fit pitching seems to bring results. Now, this, this is a little side note. I'm going to throw this in absolutely for free. This is for you, Mom and Dad. Not part of my sermon, really. This is just completely free. If your kids are just driving you nuts with all of their crying and pitching their fits when they're not getting what they want, it's because that's how they've been trained. But parents, they, they immediately they push back, oh, no, no way. I didn't train them. To, they just do that. No, it's almost always a trained response. Because we humans, 
believe it or not, are pretty smart compared to most other living creatures on planet Earth. We really are. We, we learn pretty quick. It just sometimes it may not appear that way. But we, we, as a rule, we learn very quickly. Science and psychologists, here's what they say. They say it takes only two repetitions of something for us humans to establish a pattern in our life. Two repetitions. In other words, I've always liked this illustration. Let's say somebody sits you down at a table, and the only thing on the table are three items, a banana, an apple, and an orange. And they sit you at this table. You're sitting on a metal stool. What you don't know is that metal stool is wired up to a 12-volt car battery. But you don't know this. And you're instructed, pick up a piece of fruit. And so you look over there, you say, ah, I'm going to pick up the banana. You pick up the banana. And nothing happens, and they say, okay, set it back down. Pick up another piece of fruit. You're looking at the apple and the orange. You decide to go for the apple. You pick up the apple. <laughs> Man, I mean, you get a jolt that you're not going to forget, and you drop that apple right now. At this point, you are very suspicious of that apple. And they say, pick up another piece of fruit. So you pick up the orange. Nothing happens. Set it back down. They say, one more time, pick up a piece of fruit. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, maybe that whole deal with the apple, maybe that was just a fluke. I'm going to try that one more time. And you pick up that apple. <clears throat> oh, man. Here's what science is saying. They're saying at this point in your life, chances are now beyond overwhelming that if you sit at that table for a year, you will not pick up that apple again. Because a pattern has been developed. So what am I saying? I am not suggesting that you wire up your children to a 12-volt car battery anytime they whine or fuss. I'm not suggesting that because actually, I believe six-volt battery will, do, will get your message across plenty well. No, I'm just, just kidding. What I am saying is that the very first time your child whined and fussed and pitched a fit, and this applies to probably all of us, and they ended up getting their way, they were very, very anxious to test that formula a second time. And if it worked a second time, the behavioral pattern is established. That's all I'm saying. I'm just trying to help you understand the mystery of your child's whining and fit-pitching ways. Who's glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> very scientific. It's a trained response. But hopefully as we mature, we begin to develop this understanding that suffering, however we choose to define that, is going to be a natural part of our life. And I say however we choose to define suffering because everybody defines it differently. Different levels. You know, to some people, uh, they may define suffering as walking across you know, a hot desert barefoot and blisters all over your feet and you're thirsty and your skin's cracking. That... But to someone else, they may define it as driving across the hot desert in a rented Ford Focus because the Ferrari's in the shop. I mean, people define it in a lot of different ways. But however we choose to define it, this is a very important truth. We shouldn't automatically view suffering as the enemy in our life. You know, because oftentimes experiences of suffering produce some of the greatest things we ever experience in life. Pearls are another example of this. Who knows anything about pearls? You know, pearls 
how that, how that, they are a byproduct. We consider them very beautiful. We consider them very valuable. And they are a byproduct of pain and irritation, of suffering. You know, some little piece of sand gets inside a clam. And to them, it feels like, uh, like us when we've got a little rock in our shoe. We think we've got some huge rock in our shoe. It's crazy. You go to get it out, and it's a tiny little thing, you know? But it was driving us crazy. You ever been there? Said, man, I thought that rock was going to be a lot bigger than that. It was just this little piece of sand gets inside the clam, and it's it's annoying, it's irritating, it's causing some suffering to the clam, and so because of the uh, the pain and the irritation, the clam begins to secrete all that uh, that mucusy stuff around the sand. I'm I'm a preacher, not a marine biologist, so <laughs> it's mucusy stuff. I don't know what it's called. And before you know it, you've got a pearl. And when you think about it, even even in our human existence, we can find some pretty good examples of pain and suffering resulting for the greater cause. Let me ask this morning, how many of you ladies would, would raise your hand if you have experienced natural childbirth in your life? Let me see. Right there, you had, it was pretty much all answered right there. And of those of you that raise your hands, you would agree that there was a certain level of pain and suffering involved in that. Same hands go up. Now, here's the next question. After having endured natural childbirth, how many of you that raised your hands went on to have additional children? Let me see your hand. Well, look at this. Almost everybody. Even, even after enduring incredible pain and suffering, it didn't stop most of you. Because the pain and the suffering was worth the outcome in most cases. <laughs> I'm sure there were times my mom thought, what on earth was I thinking? But it's too late to do anything about it at that point. But it helps us understand, I think, the, the whole concept of the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Jesus could have very easily avoided that painful death on a cross. And the result would be all of us would be lost. We'd have no hope for any kind of eternal life. But instead, Jesus, he chose to embrace the suffering so that all of us could experience this new birth. It's very much a similar story. Most of the great things in life have a price tag on them. And it seems like the greater the thing, the greater the price tag. And the truth is that suffering is going to be a part of our life. But when we, as followers of Jesus, when we experience these times of suffering, we can, we can have the, the promise that our suffering is never without purpose. He will always place purpose within our suffering. Uh, we're, by, in, in our journey of following Jesus, we are all, we're going to share in his suffering as well as his victory. The two come as a package deal. We don't experience one without the other. The Bible teaches us uh, this particular truth that suffering is a part of our life in Christ, but God always has purpose when he allows suffering, and that purpose will always produce good fruit if we will 
keep Him in charge, if we will keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and not end up turning it all inward to our circumstance. So I want to begin this morning by reading from John 19, beginning with verses 16 through 18. It says, Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. So we know that Jesus paid a very, very high price for our redemption. He was handed over to these very uh, sinful, barbaric men to be torturously put to death, even though he was completely innocent. That was not an easy step, even for the Son of God. He had to spend some time in prayer over that one. But he was willing to pay the price for each of us. And not only did Jesus suffer, but I'm sure God the Father suffered tremendously, giving over his only son to die what was going to be an absolutely horrible death. It was an extraordinary price that was paid for each of us. And something to consider is that up until that point in history, it had never really cost God any pain or loss to create something. C.S. Lewis had a wonderful quote. He said, it costs God nothing to create nice things, but to convert rebellious wills cost him his only son. That's a really deep thought right there. Jesus, who had all authority over everything, everything, he submitted himself to the barbaric will of men that were going to execute him in a horrible, horrible way. And Jesus never so much as lashed out at them, never spoke an unkind word. He knew his death was necessary in order to save us. So Jesus didn't die for himself. He didn't need to. We needed him to die for us. The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And he became that perfect sacrifice that would last from then throughout eternity. That all we have to do to receive forgiveness of sin is call upon his name because of the shedding of his blood. He became our sacrifice from sin. And just like the freedoms that we enjoy in America, all of them that we have left, right? They were won by the blood of a lot of sacrifices in many battles throughout the years. Our freedom from sin was literally won for us through the blood of Jesus on the cross. I have heard people argue that God is, is an unjust God because He doesn't experience pain and suffering the way we have to do, the way we have to. But the truth is that is an incorrect statement. God is no stranger to pain and suffering, His Word tells us. He had to send His own Son to a cross to die for each of us. So the truth is that God has suffered at levels that most of us will never suffer at. He didn't have to suffer. 
He made a choice to suffer for our sake. So let's go on reading verses 19 through 22. It says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. That's important. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So we read here that Jesus not only suffered, he suffered in a way that most of us absolutely hate to suffer. And that is to have to suffer in public. Most of us prefer to do our suffering in private. Kind of get off by ourselves where we can feel sorry for ourselves and we don't want anybody, you know, knowing our business. He was mocked, he was spit on, he was beaten, whipped, and ultimately killed in this very, very, very public way. But it's interesting to note how, how completely multicultural his death was in that, here's what I mean. In verse 20, you notice it said, the inscription above his head was written in three languages. The three known languages of the world at that time. Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. In other words... Pilate probably did not realize the power of this particular order, but the reality was that Jesus' death was not meant just for the Jews. It was for everyone. Everyone was included in this thing. He was more than just king of the Jews. He was king of the entire world. He was king of everything. So... Our faith, something about this private thing, our faith in God should never be a private matter like we like to make our suffering. It should be the exact opposite. People should see God living in us and through us. We should never be ashamed to share our faith with someone. Our faith in God is not meant to be a private matter, right? We were all created to be witnesses for Him. I mean, if people, know, if people who know you, they don't know where you stand spiritually, then you're not cutting the mustard. We're called to be witnesses. You know, if, we had, if we're in court and we call on someone to be a witness and testify on our behalf, and they get up on the stand and they say absolutely nothing, they are a worthless witness, right? Boy, we need to pray God would never say that about our lives. That we were called upon to be witnesses and we said nothing, thereby making us a worthless witness. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified in this very, very public way, showing that his message and his salvation was meant for everyone. It was written in all the languages. We go on to verses 23 through 24, and it says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. 
Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. These two verses describe, I think, the absolutely complete public humiliation that Jesus placed himself through. You know, just let's recap a little. One, he was falsely arrested. He was then tried unfairly. He offered no defense. He was stripped down, beaten, whipped until the flesh was torn from his back. He was then forced to try and to carry his own cross out of the city gates. As he's carrying the cross, people scream obscenities at him. They're spitting on him. He's then nailed to that cross. And he, he literally has everything that he owns completely stripped away from him, including his dignity right down to the clothes off of his back. All of this in public view. Now knowing that, let's try to put this in perspective in our own life. Did you know the number one reason that people use for not sharing their faith publicly is because they feel a little embarrassed about it. That's the number one reason. Does anybody see how ridiculous the contrast is in what Jesus was willing to do for us versus what we sometimes are willing to do for him? And it's, it, the contrast is pretty sobering, I think. Oh, I don't want to do that. It's a little embarrassing. Look at what Jesus did for us. Jesus felt every kind of pain there is known to man. He endured spiritual pain and suffering, physical pain and suffering, mental anguish, pain and suffering. Anytime we're experiencing pain or suffering in this life, you can be sure that you are serving a God who completely understands what you are going through. It's always hard to accept pain, whether it's physical or emotional. But when we do, that is absolutely when we have to place our trust in God. Because that's the only key to ever experiencing victory out of this suffering. The moment we take our focus on Him and we turn it inwards, all we're going to get out of it is pain and suffering. We lose the victory part. Because only God can bring that into our life. We have to grab a hold and have a firm belief in Romans 8.28 that all things happen for good to those who love the Lord. In other words, he, it doesn't mean the situation or the circumstance was good, but it means if we stay focused on Him, He will bring some good into our life through it. We have to hold on tight, not let go at that point. God will work our painful situations in life to our good. Experiencing what Jesus did, it had to have been excruciatingly painful and difficult, but he stayed on course, didn't he? He never wavered. He was completely focused on what the end result would be. He wasn't focused on the pain or the suffering or the humiliation of the moment. And that's what faith has to do in our life. 
Our faith should cause us to look at the evidence of things that we can't see. Knowing and believing that God will bring good into our life ultimately. Because He loves us. Let's go on to verse 25-30. through 30. Near the cross of Jesus stood His mother, His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw His mother there and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby, He said to His mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing all that was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, in the midst of all this pain and suffering, Jesus is still realizing that others matter more than his own suffering. I mean, what a, what a, a picture that we get here in these verses. Jesus is near death. He's in a pain that most of us cannot even comprehend. And yet in the midst of what it was his greatest moment of suffering, he's still more concerned with ministering to the needs of others. You know, first was the thief to his right that he ministered to. And finally, he's making sure that the needs of his mother are going to be taken care of. He's concerned about that. Almost Every Bible scholar believes that Joseph is not mentioned because Joseph was long dead, most likely. He wasn't mentioned after Jesus was uh, just turning into his teenage years. You never hear another word about Joseph. So he was probably long gone, and Jesus is concerned about what's going to happen to his mother. So he asked his brother John to take her into his home. He's using these final moments of evil to focus on doing something good. And there's a, there's a huge lesson in there, I think, for all of us on how we should conduct ourselves even when someone is purposely trying to harm us or in the, uh, we are right in the middle of our own pain and suffering. How many of us always react the way Jesus did and, you know, we're just concerned about somebody else? So often it all gets turned right in here, doesn't it? None of it is turned outward. It's all turned inward, and then no victory can ever become of it because we've taken control of it and we've brought it all in here instead of giving it over to God and continuing to remain focused on the prize. So suffering, someone said, this is another quote that I like. I don't know who said it. Suffering is an opportunity to experience evil and hardship and change it into good. Even Peter came to realize that we can never stop doing what we know is good and right, even when we're suffering for doing what's right. He, 1 Peter 4.19, he, he said, If you suffer for obeying God, you must have complete faith in your Creator and keep on doing right. You know, we talk about this a lot at CT Church, the fact that all of us 
are called to be ministers. You've heard me say it before, right? Many times, if you've been here for any amount of time. We're all called to be ministers in the kingdom of God. Maybe we're not all called to be pastors or called to be missionaries, but we are certainly all called to be ministers of his gospel. And the deal with ministry, here it is in a nutshell. Ministry is always about others, never about ourselves. A lot of times people get that all twisted around and, and they think their ministry is all about kind of self-promotion. Ministry, in the truest sense of the word, is all about others, never about ourselves. As soon as it becomes about ourselves, it ceases to be ministry. It's just something entirely different. Ministry is about others. Now say that with me. Ministry is always about others, never about ourselves. Man, we just got to get that locked in there. Because we live in a society uh, where people, more often than not, they, the church that they choose to attend is based entirely on what that church has to offer them. They try out, you know, half a dozen churches, see which one, who's got the most to offer me, rather than the, going in with the, the forethought of what do I have to offer this church? Is God calling me here because I have something to offer this body of believers? Do you see how we've got it all twisted up and backwards? You know, people leave churches today for just all sorts of crazy reasons. They don't like the music. That's a big one. I don't like the music. I don't like uh, the color of the carpet. I don't like the bathrooms. We've got some bathroom issues, but we're working on them. I don't think anybody's left yet, but... I mean, it's, it's, it's always about what they want. I don't like the preacher. I've lost a few. It's really hard to believe because I'm so lovable, right? <laughs> I just, I don't understand it either. Just all sorts of reasons. It's about, because of what people want. Sometimes people don't get involved in the direction of the church, and that, so they always feel like they're swimming upstream. You know, in, in, at CT Church, a major direction of our church is small group ministry. That's where ministry really has a chance to take place. You know, it's a, one of the main thrusts of small group ministry is that when you, you get together and you have these times of interaction, and you get to minister to others. And in turn, they minister to you. And so you've got ministry going in both directions. And people just begin to grow and feel, you know, very bonded together. And feel like they're a real part of the body of Christ. That's my commercial for small groups. Every Wednesday night. So... People will sometimes battle over God's command that we need to be faithful in our tithes and in our finances. I mean, boy, today, people, that's the last thing anybody wants to give up. They don't, don't want to give up their money for sure. It's not what they want. I tell you this this morning. If everyone in our churches today, and I'm in, not exempting us, if everyone could get past this notion of weighing out everything according to, well, how, will this, how is this going to minister to me and begin to focus on what can I do 
to minister to others and place their needs ahead of mine. I'm telling you, if this mindset were to turn in churches today, uh, even in ours, we would fill this place up to overflowing in no time. We'd have a big problem on our hands. Where do we put all these people? Ministry is always about others. It's never about ourselves. You know, in our times of pain and suffering, God will always use it for His glory and to bring some good out of the situation if, there's always a qualifier, if while in the midst of our trial, we continue to focus on ministering to others rather than becoming all inward focused and just worrying about us. He will bring some good out of any situation. I've experienced it in my own life. Jesus knew that his death was the very thing that was going to offer eternal life to everyone else. That's how big a deal it was. And, and his example of offering himself to save us is so, this, this is so radically different than what we see in other mainstream world religions today. You know, we see these religions that what they promote, they promote self-sacrifice as a means to destroy unbelievers, not save them. You know, we, we are all the time reading about some suicide bomber on a bus, a train, in an airplane. They walk into marketplaces, all in the name of their God, to kill as many unbelievers as possible. It's the exact opposite of how Jesus operated. His purpose was he gave of himself so that others could be saved, not killed. The devil always has an exact opposite of every good and right thing that God has. The devil always has an opposite. Jesus, his final words on the cross were, it is finished. And the Greek word for that if I'm saying it right, is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Archaeologists have actually found uh, ancient Greek tax receipts with those from the, from the biblical times with, those, with that word stamped on them, tetelestai, which translated paid in full. And then John tells us in verse 30 that Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In other words, he was in complete control. He gave up his spirit when he was good and ready. Nobody took it from him. Amen? You know, maybe you're going through a, a real trial of some suffering in your life right now. Don't become bitter because if you allow him, God will bring good out of the most difficult situations of life. If you're trying to follow God's will and you're suffering for it, stay strong and rely on God because He's going to turn things around at some point. He's going to bring some good things into your life because of your commitment and your reliance on Him and your faithfulness. You have to remember that God completely understands every type of pain or suffering that we endure. He understands it emotional. He was rejected not only by his own enemies, but even by his closest friends. Physical suffering. His flesh was torn from his body. His blood poured out on Calvary's cross. 
spiritual suffering. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the presence of God leave at one point of his crucifixion. And he carried the entire weight of the world on him. Wow, he took it all. The the cross and the crucifixion were no accident. Things of great value always follow great sacrifice. We know that suffering is going to be a part of all of our lives. We bear suffering now in order to gain something later. The question becomes this, not am I going to have suffering in my life? The question becomes how am I going to respond to suffering in my life? And then we have to answer a very important question. It's going to do one thing, one of two things. We have to decide, and the great thing is we talked last week about we have the power to choose. It's an incredible power that God has given each of us in our lives. We get to choose whether suffering is going to make us bitter or whether it's going to make us better. We get to choose. Stand with me this morning. Is it going to make you bitter or is it going to make you better? The choice is always going to be yours. It's going to be our choice. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.